You're listening to The Wilder Podcast. Episode 27. With Carson Dupree. Hi everybody, it's Carson Dupree, me. And I'm back with another podcast episode, a couple days late, but if you follow me on Instagram, then you know that I took a social media break this week for three days. I did not have any social media, aka Instagram, Facebook, any of it. I did, however, watch some YouTube videos, but I don't really use YouTube as a social media platform, and I'm not obsessed with it. So, yeah. I just like kind of needed to take a step back and kind of needed to take a break. Absolutely needed to take a break. And I did. And it was nice. I was honestly pretty inspired by YouTube star Lucy Fink from Refinery29. And she did like five days without her cell phone and then did five days without social media. And I was just like, I need to do this. But I only chose three days because I knew that I needed to get a podcast episode out and I knew that I needed to promote it if I was going to do that. So um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And today's episode is super special. It's actually with a friend of mine who I've known since I was, I think we determined it was since I was in eighth grade. Um, her name is Aisha Erkin. And I've always said Erkin and then I heard her say it in this podcast and she said Erkin and I was like, why am I saying your name wrong my entire life? So, hey, Aisha, I know you're listening, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was such a special and cool episode, and you may notice that it is a little choppy at some parts, but that's kind of because we're friends, and, like, I'm just going to be honest. My my um, interviewing kind of went out the window because I know her and I was just kind of reminiscing half the time. So if it feels a little choppy, it's because some of our stuff got kind of out of order and I moved it around. But just know that everything that she says is gold. And I feel like these types of conversations are super important, especially because she's a friend of mine, a friend of my family. And she we grew up in East Texas, which is a pretty tried and true conservative place, a very white Christian conservative place. And I'm not saying all of those things are bad things. I'm just saying that it is a culture shock, especially when you're coming from a different part of the world and it's not always a positive experience. And I really just wanted to have a conversation with her and get to know her and how her experience was when we were kids. Um, and she was super open. And I feel like these types of conversations are important because there is such a hostile climate when it comes to talking about the Middle East or when it comes to talking about Islam in general. And I just feel like conversations with people like Aisha are important because she's such a relatable, amazing human being. And I don't think that her culture should put blinders up for you, if that makes sense. And honestly, I know that if you're listening to this podcast, I bet that you're not currently obsessed with the current administration and you probably don't have anything against anybody of a different ethnicity. But I think it's always good to hear from different people and hear their perspectives. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk to Aisha. She's also amazing, super talented. She's an architect. She's currently, I think, going to school or sorry, trying to go to school for more school and maybe focusing on a different career. Um, 
eventually, but she does have a degree in architecture and she's working for a firm in Austin. And uh, we kind of talked about that. We talked about her passion for fashion. Ooh, sorry. I just knocked something over her passion for fashion and, um, food. She's a foodie just like moi. And so we talk about food and, um, some of her favorite places in Austin, some of her favorite things to eat. Um, we talked about some common misconceptions when it comes to Muslim communities. And, you know, she went to a convent in Pakistan run by nuns. Like that is crazy. Like couldn't make that up. I would never even have thought about that. Uh, but she moved to East Texas when she was in high school, like I said, and spoiler alert, her first day in high school, she ate lunch in the bathroom. Okay. (laughs) So sad. Oh my gosh. Um, I also am able to ask her why she in high school chose not to wear the hijab. Cause I always wondered, cause she did have a sister that wore one and we talk about that and it's really cool to be able to have these open conversations. And I'm just grateful that I have her in my life and I wish that I could see more of her, but she lives in Austin, Texas where my brother lives and they're really close friends. So we talk about that in the beginning. We talk about how we met cause I think it's really cute. Um, but yeah. And I should have everything in the show notes for you of some of the stuff she mentions. If I don't have everything yet, I will be adding it. So if you're listening to this on Friday, I'm recording this intro on Thursday and I may have to go back and add some stuff because I need to get all of that from her, if that makes sense. Um, But I wanted to make sure you guys had an episode. I will link everything that I have so far, but I may have to go back if that makes any sense. Anyway... Um, a couple updates from me before I get into the episode, I opened my Moody Moons art account print shop. So I will be using that as the sponsor for this episode. Um, so if you want to make a contribution to the podcast, support the podcast, support me, you could go over to my new print shop, which is society6.com slash moody moons. So that's M O O D I E M O O N S. Um, and make a purchase. You could buy something. They have a lot of different options for you. Um, they have prints, they have frame prints, they have tapestries, they have bags, clocks, removable wallpaper, which I thought was a really fun and um, yeah, if you have any questions about that, you can always email me at info at carsonkdupree.com. So that's info at K-A-R-S-Y-N-K-D-U-P-R-E-E.com. And yeah, that's going to be my sponsor. I am my own sponsor. So if you buy something, it directly goes to me and it directly goes to the podcast. Um, I may end up changing the shop at some point, but for now, for, um, what I'm doing, Society6 works just as fine. I'm not really trying to make a ton of money at all. Not really at all. Um, but I'm contemplating making digital downloads possible for you so that you can purchase the photo. It's not a photo, but purchase the digital download. And then if you wanted to upload it to a site like Vistaprint or something like that, you could print out your own big old poster. Um, but I'm still working on that. It's not something that anybody really seems like they're interested in. Cause I know nobody has a printer right now. So totally. I hear you when you say Carson, I don't have a printer. I hear you. And I will not make that something if you aren't interested, but yeah, I think that's all the announcements for me. 
Um, tomorrow night, if you, so it will be tonight, but well, by the time this comes out, Friday, August 3rd, going to the Sucre show. So my sister-in-law, Stacy and her husband, Darren are playing a big show here in Nashville at the basement East. If you're going to go, I would love to see you. Um, I think Stacy said she plays at 9 p.m. So yeah, meet us there. I think we're going to go to um, a bar called the Pearl Diver ahead of time. So if you want to go, I'll be there and it'll be fun. And if you don't live in Nashville, make sure you check out her tour dates. She's been posting on her Instagram. So you can just go to her Instagram, which is at Sucre Music. So S-U-C-R-E music and I wanted to have her on the podcast we had it set up but it didn't end up working out because she was practicing for the tour um so I look forward to having Stacy on when she gets back because in addition to being my sister-in-law she's also one of my BFFs and I'm gonna miss her because she's gonna be gone for like a month she's also kind of my neighbor so it all works out anyway Make sure you check that out. Her husband was in the band Mute Math for a long time. His name is Darren King. And now he has a solo tour happening. Well, he's not solo because he's on tour with her. But you know what I mean. He's also playing on his own. And he's going by DK the Drummer. And it's going to be really fun. I have no idea what this show is going to be like. um, But I'm, I'm really excited. And I can't wait. My mom's also coming this weekend. So... Hey mom, I know you're going to listen to this and she's the best. In addition to my social media break, I read a book called Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth and I really liked it. I can't say I 100% identified with everything in the book. Some of the stuff was like odd and partially, probably like triggering for people that have active eating disorders. So if you have one, I wouldn't recommend reading that. But there were some good nuggets in there that I was like, whoa. This is some deep stuff. This really gets me. So all in all, I would recommend it if you have like a pretty healthy relationship with food and you just kind of want to check in. I think it's a good book. I've had it for a few years and I've never read it. So I finally did. And that was great. Also, that was because of my social media break. Anyway, I'm going to get right into this podcast episode because that's basically all of the announcements for me and I feel like that took me a really long time so I apologize but you guys have a great weekend and here's Aisha. I'm here with Aisha and before we get to know her a little bit more I just like just wanted to start by saying that I've known Aisha for I don't know 10 12 years like how when did you when did you meet my brother? I met Hunter, I think my sophomore year in high school is when we became friends. So that was 10 years ago. Um, I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade because, okay, everyone, I just saw this Facebook thing and it was like nine years ago and it was Aisha posing with my Cocker Spaniel. And I was like, (laughs) how have I known you for nine years? And it's because we were obviously children when we met. I just knew her because she was in the same grade with my brother and she like made an effort to make to make friends with me. One, that's not what I was going to say, but you did. You were you were so sweet and you wanted to be friends with me. 
Or you at least like wanted to be nice to me. I, I thought you were a lot cooler than Hunter. So I was like, no, <laughs> it's true. Sorry, Hunter. <laughs> then you made me a CD and it had Blind Pilot on it. And it had, I think it may have even had, it had Angus and Julia Stone. It had a lot of good stuff. She was into good music. That's all I have to say. And you, she exposed me to some good stuff. Oh, miss making those CDs. Those are fun. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Uh, so yeah, this is Aisha Erkin, and I would love for you to introduce yourself and just let us know, let everybody know a little bit more about you. Okay. Um, so yeah, like Carson said, I am Aisha Erkin. I live in Austin, Texas, and I work at an architectural firm called Lake Flato Architects. They are based in San Antonio, and um, we focus on sustainable architecture and building for everyone. So I went to architecture school in Arkansas, and that is what I do. So that's a quick introduction. That was nice and quick. I liked that. Um, so when you say sustainable agriculture, like what sets that apart from standard? I mean, I can imagine there are things, but like I'm not I don't I know nothing. So like what what kind of practices do you guys make an effort to do? So the sustainable architecture can be done in several ways. Um, so I minored in that in school as well as historic preservation. And I liked how both went hand in hand because when you're studying historic preservation, you're studying how buildings were done in the past and you learn from them how to build them in the future. And so the concepts that we use at Lake Plato are um, designing for the environment. So we'll use basically local materials. So limestone is used a lot in central Texas. So that's in a lot of our buildings. We'll use a lot of um, shading devices and we'll orient the building on the site so that you get the best use of northern light, which is the best softest light. And you want to avoid southern light, which is very harsh. Um, we try to have a lot of uh, recycled and potable water, we, we, rain screen systems, um, rainwater systems, the works basically having a lot of plants all our buildings are always integrated with really great landscape architecture so we partner with a lot of firms and work with them on that um just basically building not for the now you're building buildings for the next hundred years and that to me is what architecture should be it's not about the trends and it looking nice it's about creating spaces that a bring community together and b last for a long time look timeless and are not destroying your environment because as you know our world is falling apart so not to be dramatic but that's amazing i love the way that you describe that i don't know anything about architecture i mean i know just whatever i can talk to hunter about sometimes but I mean, if mm -hmm. he's listening right now, which I'm sure he is for the first time to my podcast, <laughs> he's probably like, KK, we've never talked about architecture in our lives. Okay. But anyway, so how did you get into architecture? Because for those that are listening, my brother, his girlfriend, um, Aunt Aisha, and then also like my cousin and now my cousin-in-law, my cousin's wife, whatever, they all went to the <laughs> same school in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is the University of Arkansas. But anyway, what got you into architecture and like what made you pursue that? Was there like a turning point or was it just like a general interest? Um, actually, it's pretty funny. When I was growing up as a kid, I always wanted to be a quote unquote mad scientist is what I called oh. it. I just, yeah, I was like, I just want to be that crazy person that's like, you know, designing and making things. But I didn't know what scientists did. And I also was very bad at science. That's my weak subject. Um, so I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't going to work out. Um, and then I think in 
high school, I decided like I wanted to do um, culinary sciences or something with food because I've always loved cooking. As a child, that was my favorite class, like home economics that we had in middle school. Um, yeah, we had those classes in Pakistan as well where I went to middle school. And so the process of cooking, I think, is my favorite. And it's basically the planning process, uh, figure out what, figuring out what you're going to do and then having an end. Um, and I quickly learned that basically the cooking process is also very similar to designing process. And then I went on to, I want to be an artist, which I thought was also in that realm. But having Asian parents, they're like, no. So that's basically <laughs> where architecture came. I was like, okay, what's something where I can still design, um, but it's more regimented and basically is acceptable in the eyes of my parents. So that's how I decided to do architecture. I knew nothing about it when I went in. I took a drafting class in Robert E. Lee High School. Hey. It was a horrible class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's our high school's name. Yeah. <laughs> Golly. Actually, I heard on uh, This American Life that they were petitioning to change it. And I was surprised it was on a This American Life episode because I was like, wait, that's the high school I went to. And people want it changed. But, you know, sometimes how Tyler can be and they can be pretty stubborn. But I don't know. So I was born in uh, Islamabad, Pakistan, which is the capital of Pakistan. Um, I am one of five siblings. And all of us were born in different countries. So three of my siblings were born in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And my youngest sister was born in um, Berkum. Well, actually, she was born in Bonn in Germany. It's a, it's a pretty well-known city, but Berkum is where my grandmother lives. And nobody knows it. Not even German knows. Germans <laughs> know it because it's such a small village. Yeah, I moved to the U.S. when I was 14. So I was a freshman in high school. And that was 12 years ago. Yeah, it's funny. A lot of people don't realize that I moved here. Like, I've actually lived most of my life abroad because I've gotten so used to just not necessarily assimilating, but just adapting to different cultures because we've moved constantly. Like, I, I was born in Pakistan, but then we moved to Germany for a little bit. And then we moved to Saudi Arabia. And then we moved back to Pakistan. Then back to Saudi Arabia and like back and forth until we settled in the U.S. in 2006. We had initially moved to Tyler and yeah, that's how I'd met all of y'all. All of y'all. <laughs> so what did your what did your family do that like required? Did it require you guys to move around a lot for work? Um, no, it was actually um, because my parents parents are basically in different countries. That's why we constantly move. So my grandmother lives, my dad's mother, she lives in Pakistan, or she used to live in Pakistan. She passed away in 2013, sadly. Um, and my mom's mom lives in Germany, and my mom's dad lives in Saudi Arabia. And so that's how those three countries are connected, because um, when my parents got married, they're two, different, two totally different cultures. Uh, different parts of the world and so we couldn't really decide where to live because my mom wanted to be with her parents and my dad wanted to be with his family and so that's basically why it's just indecisiveness so growing up I mean you grew up abroad yes but like in your teens like being plunged into you know east Texas did you have a hard time acclimating or do you feel like there was some instant friends or what was it like? It actually, it was pretty hard. Um, I, I was used to moving and leaving my friends and making new friends, but the difficult part was just 
uh, like staying true to yourself. I mean, as a 14 year old person, like you want to blend in and you want to look like everyone else and you want to shy away from who you really are. Um, and like, I, I, I am a Muslim, like I was born and raised Muslim and uh, my family is pretty religious, but that doesn't mean that we are closed minded. We're still very open minded, but I was honestly embarrassed of my religion because of the bad press and uh, Tyler is a very Baptist city and mm -hmm. everybody there like if you're if you're not a Baptist then you're just like like what are you doing here yeah. so that's like well yeah so um, at first it was hard uh, my first day in school I nobody was like basically I was a fob I don't know if you know the term fob which is fresh off the boat so no, um, no I didn't I just, know that term yeah, <laughs> it's a term that yeah, us foreigners use for somebody that's very, uh, I don't know how to describe it, like fobby is what you call them. Like they don't- Fobby. Foreign, yeah. Yeah, fobby. I get it. I get what you're saying. <laughs> that's funny. So that's, I was pretty fobby. Uh, I didn't really know what people wore. Like I, like I thought Walmart clothes were super cool because I didn't know. I was like, yeah, Walmart's awesome. We didn't have that. Uh huh. Exactly. And like being immigrants, like it's it's tough moving. You, like you, my parents just didn't weren't millionaires or anything, and so we had to like I couldn't buy North Face jackets like everyone had in high school or like Hollister and Abercrombie, and so I felt isolated. Um, my first day. I did make a friend later, actually my second day, but my first day I ended up sitting in the bathroom stall to eat lunch, which is such a stereotypical what? scene from a high school drama. Entering scene of your memoir, like, exactly. when you write a book. Exactly. But fortunately, that was Aww. just one day. Um, my second day, I met a girl from Australia in my woodshop class. Um, and so we became friends and we had the same lunches. So it was great. It's funny that my first time in America was a foreign exchange student. So she stayed for a while, um, but she ended up moving back to Australia and that's where she lives now. Um, but after that, I did, I, I joined band my sophomore year and I made a solid group of friends that I'm still friends with right now. Hunter is one of them. And, uh, yeah, they made my high school experience a lot better. And eventually, like, the older I got, the more I realized, like, it's dumb to try and get away from your roots. And, you know, not accepting who you are is just, I don't know, it just makes you sadder. And it's more difficult. And trying to blend in isn't necessarily the right thing to do. You have the Seek Refuge brand on your blog, or not your blog, but on your Instagram. And it really did make me think, like, so what was it like growing up without a ton of like female representation of your culture and even just like fashion. I know that you don't wear like a hijab, but fashion mm -hmm. driven towards your culture in America. I mean, I'm sure that there is, you know, in Pakistan, but um, I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. Actually, it's I know a lot of people say this, but my mom has always been my fashion icon, more or less. My mom and my grandmother. Um, my mother always would get custom clothes made in Pakistan. So that was the norm when we lived there. You go get uh, your measurements, you go to shops and you pick your materials and then you design your own clothes and you get it stitched. That was what you typically did. So a lot of our clothes when we were younger were custom made and you had your own tail or he had a company, but you had a tailor and you would go to him and he knew your sizes and he'd just make you your clothes. Um, the industry has changed that that still happens. It's not as common. It's a lot more expensive. So now it's crazy. There are so many different types of brands and 
just styles and trends that I, I cannot keep up when I go there or whenever my family sends me clothes from there, they're out of season already, which I don't care about because I don't care about being trendy. I just wear what I like. Uh, but over there, they are very particular about this is in fashion. This is what you wear now. Um, and if you wear last season, it's like, what are you doing? Uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty intense. But they're beautiful clothes. There's some of my favorite brands like Generation. There is um, Sanya, uh, oh God, Sanya Safinas. There's uh, Aranur. There's so many, so many different brands. Um, and same with Saudi Arabia. I haven't been there in a while, but when we went there, we would go to all the marquises. So that's the thing that was different in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S., you would buy pre-made clothes. And even in Saudi Arabia, there were a lot of pre-made clothes, but you still go to, like, the uh, the souk, which is, like, um, I guess, like, a bazaar. It's a bazaar. And so you go, you pick your clothes from there. And so uh, in Saudi Arabia, by law, you have to wear uh, an abaya, which is the... Um, what do you call it? I don't even know what you call it in English. I can't remember. But, you know, the, the long black um, oh, cover-up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that is that is a cultural thing. That is not a religious thing. A lot of people confuse that with religious. Um, tie, or Wearing the hijab is religious, but fully covering yourself wearing the abaya is a cultural thing and is only by law in Saudi Arabia. So, of course, you know, women will find ways to uh, be like, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. So they started designing different types of hijab. They were like, uh, or abayas, they were jean abayas, which was really in in the 90s. And there's like silk ones, some with sequins, different styles. So it's pretty cool. And That's interesting. I love it. It's so cool. Yeah. They're very fashion forward. And um, Arabs are usually generally very bougie. I love joking about it. My (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she she denies it but I'm like mama you are bougie and I'm a <laughs> and so that's where the love of style comes from just watching my grandmothers and my mom dress up um, I didn't grow up with being exposed to like a lot of uh, western brands other than like the typical designer brands that everybody has but um, yeah I was just seeing what my family wore when I lived in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia, like obviously those are Muslim, my, my majority Muslim countries, there are a lot of Catholics there as well. So I actually did go to a convent when I was in Pakistan, which was run by nuns. But that's another story. I didn't Whoa. last there very long. Yeah, they were very strict. My dad went to a Catholic school. Uh, those are typically the really good private schools in Pakistan. Um, but yeah, growing up there, I never felt... Uh, like being as a Muslim, I, I was like, okay, this is normal. But um, when I moved to the U.S., it was a very different dynamic because there are Muslim communities um, everywhere. And there is a pretty strong one in Tyler. But for some reason, I always felt like uh, not not like I guess I was welcome there. But people automatically will assume that because I uh, don't wear the hijab and um, because I hang out with a lot of Americans and like, uh, I'm pretty relaxed on what I wear. Like, I do dress very modestly, but I'll, I'll show my legs. Like, I'll wear sleeveless. And that's typically frowned upon in Islam because a woman isn't, she was, like, she's not supposed to show any part of her body. That's the purpose of hijab is to protect a woman. Only because men can be very aggressive. Um, so people automatically in the Muslim communities always assume that I was a modern Muslim, as in I drank, I partied, like I did drugs, like I didn't care about the religion. And... I understood that later on because there's two realms in the U.S. You either are on the, are on the spectrum of extremely religious, um, everything you do is haram, which is the word we say for um, against Islam or just like 
sinful, basically. Or you're on the other spectrum where you're just a crazy partier and you do everything that's wild. And I'm in the middle. Like, I don't party, but I'm pretty relaxed on, you know, a couple of things. And so it was weird because even in the community like that, I felt left out. So um, that's something I feel like a lot of Muslims do feel in the U.S. But I haven't met any like that as yet in Austin or in Texas, but I'm sure there are in New York. So that's a little tidbit of what a lot of people don't see in um, the Muslim community because when they look at Muslims they usually look at us as a whole um, but there are so many different variations of us and there's also different sects there's Sunni there's Shia and my family was brought up Sunni um, and Shia is usually like in Iraq and there's several in Pakistan um, and I have a few Shia friends in Austin as well that's crazy I would have never I did so I did growing up I did notice that your sister wore a hijab and you did not um <laughs> But so what was that choice like when you're so young? Did your parents just like, hey, do you want to or what was that like? My parents have never, ever like enforced that on me or asked me if I want to. Um, It is your own personal decision. And I really appreciate them being that way because a lot of parents will um, instill upon their kids that they have to. Um, and I hope like one day that I do wear it because I think it is a beautiful representation of Islam. And my mom wears a hijab and I think she looks beautiful in it. Um, but I don't want to wear it just because I, I need to really feel it in my heart. So I'm just waiting for that day to happen. And, uh, my sister had felt it when she was in high school. And so she wore the hijab then, but unfortunately she went to Baylor and she felt very um, isolated and unsafe. So she ended up taking off. Um, and my mom also, when we first moved to the U.S., she wore the hijab and she had to take it off as well because uh, when we were in Tyler, she had gotten yelled at a couple of times, like go back to your own country and you know shit like that. And so she, she felt generally unsafe, unhappy, and she took it off. Um, and then she went to Hajj a few years ago. Hajj is like our annual pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck the haters. <laughs> <laughs> and she put it back on. And ever since then, she's like, whatever, people can insult me, but I don't care. Um, it's a lot better in Plano. She doesn't get stared at. Uh, everybody there is foreign, basically. So... She's comfortable there. Oh, that makes my freaking stomach hurt. The thing about, like, your mom being yelled at. Even though I know, I think maybe Hunter has told me that before. And, I mean, I can imagine. I mean, growing up, my best friends were Elena and Jennifer. And they were, you know, technically people of color. Even though they were, you know, they're mixed. But, I mean, I... It's hard. Because when you're a kid, I remember Jennifer always making jokes Maybe she didn't. Maybe we were making the jokes about her. Jennifer, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Because she always laughed and made them too. But now that I'm an adult, like I feel way more sensitive to that stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I actually totally get that. Um, and it's funny. Like, So all my friends in high school um, used to make fun of me constantly. But I had just thought that, okay, this is American culture and this is how it is. So I just went with it. So a lot of them would say things like, you know, which is horrible. They'd be like, Allah, boom, Allahu Akbar. Like, I, like you know, making fun of terrorist things like this. And I would just laugh because I was like, all right, whatever. These are my friends and this is how it is. And um, it's not a big deal. Um, but when I went to college, I realized, no, this is not okay. And after the election, several people apologized to me. They're like, I'm so sorry how I treated you in high school. Like, I didn't know better. And 
I totally understand that because it's true. None of us knew better. I didn't know better to say this is not okay. Mm-hmm. They didn't know better because it was shown in the media as like this is what Islam is. And it's it's really sad that this is how it was and it was normalized and it was okay. But I'm really happy that a few people, um, like, including Hunter, he texted me and he never really made fun of me that much. He was just like, I am so sorry if I said anything to offend you like after the election. He's like, I, you know, I never meant it. I'm like, yeah, of course you never meant it. But I wish I had educated people when I was in high school instead of hiding my faith. And, you know, like I never really did anything that went against my faith, but I just I never protected it. I was just too scared and too embarrassed and um, just wanted to blend in and just be like everyone else. So, wow, that's getting me so hard in the feels like it's hitting me (laughs) like, okay, I that that makes me want to send a couple texts to my just because like, I think similarly, it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, from a religious standpoint, but definitely from just like the way that my friends looked, I remember there were, we always made jokes at just to each other about each other and I didn't ever think about I mean I'm sure there were jokes about me being white but that's not that doesn't count um but like you know that doesn't count at all but anyway so like if you if we have some listeners that are you know currently hearing our conversation and thinking oh my gosh I did this or I said these things and now I I don't really know but I want to apologize do you feel like did you feel like those texts, like say from Hunter or whoever really like helped and like felt better moving forward, especially even though you were older. I think it was just nice to see that they thought about their actions, even though it was like, what, nine, 10 years ago. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. And I don't blame any of the people that made fun of me, except for a few that were just straight up bullies. And yeah, that was awful. But um, I get that. Yeah. And I, I did appreciate it. But Again, like I had no bad sentiment toward any of them. Like all of those friends of mine are very open-minded, loving. My family loves them. Like they're basically family to me. You are involved with the Girl Forward movement or the project. Um, And I would love to hear how you got into that and like how you heard about it. I know that it's in Austin. I saw that. Yeah. So um, basically after the election um, results, I was pretty heartbroken it was it was tough um and i didn't want to just sit around and not like you know like yeah it's good to spread the word and you know educate people but i wanted to do something and a good friend of mine she heard about girl forward on npr or she saw uh, she saw a website or something and she sent me the link i was like hey we should go to this and we should go to their first seminar and see what you know they're talking about um and apply and so i went to their first meeting and I applied to be a mentor and uh, got in. So that's how it all started. Um, They are an excellent organization. I am still a mentor with them. This is gonna be my second year mentoring. I, I love it so much. They truly do a great job at mentoring young girls and being there for them. And also just a really good community of like-minded women who want to make um, young women feel included in the U.S. And if I was younger and had a mentor like that, that told me that it's okay to be, you know, a refugee, like I wasn't a refugee, but saying what I had said to my mentor, like, don't be embarrassed of your refugee status. Don't be embarrassed of your religion. Don't be embarrassed of how you are, your culture. Just, you know, be who you are. And then we also help them educationally. Uh, so I would help my mentee with reading, um, 
luckily she was very smart so we didn't do a lot of school things <laughs> which was fun she really wanted to explore austin so i would take her to places to eat um mostly ice cream because she really loved ice cream and so do i but yeah you so girl forward just helps youth uh young women be a well-rounded individual educationally as well as just uh, perspectively. So I love that organization. Yeah, it's amazing. And I'll put it in the show notes for anybody that's wondering. Um, I saw that if you are in the Austin area that they are no longer seeking mentors. They are closed right now, but they are in a different city. But Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think they're still taking mentors for that. But um you can always donate and um, I will, like I said, I will leave more information in the show notes of this episode, but I thought that that was just so cool. And I didn't know that about you. I've, even in college, like I, I love working with children or people that are not that much younger than me, but in college I used to mentor international students as well. They were architecture students, but uh, I also worked at the study abroad office and I was a peer advisor there. So I would help people link up with study abroad programs. So I have a lot of interest other than architecture, so I tried, even though architecture school basically took over my life for five years, I really tried to branch out and um, still stay true to the international community because, like you were saying, like her the heritage, my heritage is part of who I am. I cannot escape it. I love it, and I just want to spread it into everything that I'm doing. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that so much. I, I love how rooted you are in that and that you embody it so beautifully and that doesn't Thank just you. mean physically but you are totally gorgeous everybody oh. um and you're all about fashion but you always have been weren't you voted best dressed i was voted best <laughs> dressed <laughs> so funny because again like i was so fobby my freshman year i need to find some photos because it's hilarious i think i bought these pants from jc penny they were cargo pants that had strings at the bottom and that had embroidered beads on them. Nice. And then I wore, um, it's called a, kur a kurta. It's a type of shirt from Pakistan that's, uh, it's like a long shirt with a little slit on the side. And then I got this leather belt that I tied at my hip. And then I wore jelly shoes. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, what a mess. <laughs> yeah. Jelly that shoes. That was before they even made a comeback. So I don't know how you got your hands on those. Oh, yeah, they they were old. They were, <laughs> yeah, good times. Good times. Yeah. No, I thought you were dressed really cool. I wanted to ask you about what it's like to do, like, religious fasting and what that experience is like for you. Um, and then I want to talk about your favorite restaurants and your favorite foods. So, oh. yeah, so what was this time around like, you guys? I saw her during this time, and I actually had a bunch of questions because I know that it's there are different types of religious fasting, but you <laughs> were... You were doing Ramadan at the time, right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, so Ramadan uh, happens every year. Um, and so we follow the lunar calendar. So it actually goes back 10 days every year. And this year it was in uh, mid-June to mid-July. Oh, sorry, mid-May to mid-June. Uh, and I love Ramadan. It's one of my favorite times of the year. It is really hard, especially with really long summer days. But to me, it is a spiritual cleanse. It is a physical cleanse. And it's also just like a good detox of everything. You focus on being the best version of yourself. You are cleaning toxins from your body and from your mind. You are using that month to be um, charitable. You want to tie in with your community. You you actually even try to refrain from cussing. 
you basically want to be the best version of yourself. And they say that I think it takes 21 or 22 days to form a habit. And Ramadan's about 29 days, 28 days, depends on the moon. Um, and so it's kind of a kickstart for a new year. And you want to continue those habits throughout the year. So um, what you do is you fast from sunrise to sunset. So you're able to eat and drink water after sunset and before sunrise, but you cannot have water or any liquids or any food from sunrise to sunset. And uh, it really, really, really helps with self-control because I am really bad with sugary goods. And after Ramadan, I can usually control myself until I start binge eating anything with sugar in it, which is bad. But yeah, it's a it's a great time. And um, community-wise, it's also wonderful because you get together with a lot of your family. The Muslim communities in every city get together. There's prayers every night. There's events going on constantly as well. And at the end of Ramadan, there's a big celebration called Eid. Uh, is one of the two Eids that we have in the year. This one is Bakra Eid, or um, which is called Eid of the Goat, basically, mm. because traditionally um, you and I know I know you're a vegan, but <laughs> what are we about to say? <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> you eat goat, so you sacrifice a goat, but it's because you give that as food to the community. So you keep a third for yourself and you give away the two thirds of it to the villages and um, people who need it. So you, you don't, like you share your wealth basically. Okay. So yeah, yeah goat, we tr- traditionally eat goat because that was just something that was available back in the day, uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago. Um, so it's just kind of a tradition that stayed uh, and there are vegetarian Muslims and they don't do that. I don't think they do. Oh my gosh, my I was just is, about to ask that. But yeah. I mean, theoretical goat. It's just like, yeah, no, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. I mean, I love that. Besides the goat thing. But I mean, I, yes. I think it's a beautiful <laughs> culture and I'm not dissing y'all's goats. I'm just no, saying. I, I did try being vegetarian in high school for a little bit because I had watched, I think, was it Food Inc. or something? And I was so appalled and I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. And I love animals. But I found out I was anemic and you know how high schoolers are. I just ate french fries and pizza rolls. So my favorite food to cook, um, oh my God, there's so many different types, but basically my favorite food to eat is um, Euler food, which is um, my grandmother's heritage. It is actually Northern Chinese. It is a very small Muslim, um, oppressed Muslim society in Northern China. Um, and she ended up leaving at a young age, but uh, it's in the Xi'an region, and it's very similar to northern Chinese food. So a lot of noodles, um, a lot of chili oil, a lot of vinegar, soup dumplings, regular dumplings, um, basically dough, meat, and bread. Not a lot of veggies, but <laughs> it is delicious. So that's probably my favorite. And then, of course, Uzbek food, which is my father's heritage as well. That was what my grandfather was. And that's a lot of rice. So Palau is one. It's um, also made traditionally with meats, but you can make it a vegetarian version. It's just I've never tried that. It's a bit difficult. And then Middle Eastern food. I I don't have a favorite because I just love food. So my mom's Arab and then she's also Turkish. And so Middle East, like Turkish and Arab food, I just I love it. I will never get sick of it. So those are my 
favorite to cook because they also tie me back to my heritage, my family, the recipes that we've used for years, and I just really enjoy making them. That's so cool. No, you'll have to, we'll have to experiment in the kitchen. We'll have to, like, next time we're together, whether mm-hmm. I'm in Austin or you come to Nashville, maybe we could make something, maybe make it with tofu or tempeh or chickpeas yeah, or sure. something. And we can, or even we could get, like, a replacement meat substitute, like, beyond chicken or beyond beef or something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, there's definitely ways. Um, I, I've actually, like, I haven't had a lot of time to experiment with different uh, variations of the recipes, but I have been trying to make, like, gluten-free versions of things for oh, yeah. friends of gluten intolerance or, like, you know, vegetarian versions because I like having those options. Like, I don't eat pork, so I always like when mm-hmm. there's options for me at places. So. Yeah. If you guys uh, follow Aisha, she um, posts a lot of her, her uh, creations. I'm pulling it up right now, but, um, like, you've baked... But, like, I'm not going to lie. Your sweets, like, whenever you bake desserts, I'm just like, oh, okay, hold on. Because you do, you go all out with the pastry. Um, so what's your favorite, like, I don't know, like, Turkish restaurant in Austin? Or, like, do you, can you get good, good, those good foods there? Or do you just make them? Um, unfortunately, not as much. There are some decent spots. There's a place called Troy, but it's it's okay. Um so that's why I end up making most of them. There are some good South Asian food. That's another one of my favorites. I totally forgot, of course. Uh, growing up in Pakistan, like, I, I love South Asian food. Um, that There's more of that in Austin, uh, but I always prefer homemade. And Dallas has excellent, excellent, and Houston, too, excellent food. So usually if I want good ethnic food, I will go to Dallas or Houston. But Austin is key for having fusions. Austin restaurants are excellent fusion restaurants. So... I have so many favorites, but one of my favorites is Ceviche 7. Um, that It's like a teeny tiny tin food truck. Not even a truck. It's just like a tin cart. Um, and this guy named David from Peru owns it, and he makes the best Peruvian food ever. I, I love it. I go there all the time. Um, another really good place is Eastside King, which is like Thai fusion and Tycoon. They're both... Um, kind of they're actually from the same owner so a lot of restaurants in austin are branch off the same owner and they have uh different variations taco more it's a mexican restaurant priscilla hunter and i used to go there all the time when we used to live on the in the riverside neighborhood it's so freaking good i love it uh where can people find you so that i'm gonna have everything linked below but if you wanted to let them know yeah um so i'm most socially active on Instagram. So my handle is at Aisha Erkin. So it's just my first name, last name. And I post mostly over there. I don't have a blog or anything, but yeah, Instagram is the best place to get in contact or my email, which is linked through Instagram. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for having me. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since you started. Better than your brother. I support you. 